Chapter Thirty Nine of Jacob Faithful by Captain Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Chapter Thirty Nine. To be or not to be—that is the question. Splinters on board of a man of war very different from splinters in the finger on shore. Tom prevents this narrative from being wound up by my going down. I receive a lawyer's letter, and instead of being annoyed, am delighted with it. In the meantime Tom had gone up to the fore-royal yard, and was looking round for the five guineas, and just as the conversation was going on, cried out, Sail ho! Strange sail reported! Where? cried the first lieutenant, going forward. Right under the sun. Masthead there! Do you make her out? Yes, sir, I think she's a schooner, but I can only see down to her main-yard. That's one of them, depend upon it, said the captain. Up there, Mr. Wilson, and see what you make of her. Who is the man who reported it? Tom Beasley, sir. Confound the fellow! He makes all my ship's company jump overboard, and now I must give him five guineas. What do you make of her, Mr. Wilson? A low schooner, sir, very rakish indeed, black sides. I cannot make out her ports, but I should think she can show a very pretty set of teeth. She is becalmed as well as we. Well then, we must whistle for a breeze. In the meantime, Mr. Knight, we will have the boats all ready. If you whistle long enough, the wind is certain to come. In about an hour the breeze did come, and we took it down with us, but it was too dark to distinguish the schooner, which we had lost sight of as soon as the sun had set. About midnight the breeze failed us, and it was again calm. The captain and most of the officers were up all night, and the watch were employed preparing the boats for service. It was my morning watch, and at break of day I saw the schooner from the fore-topsail yard, about four miles to the northwest. I ran down on deck and reported her. Very good, my lad. I have her, Mr. Knight, said the captain, who had directed his glass to where I pointed, and I will have her too, one way or the other. No signs of wind. Lower down the cutters. Get the yards and stays hooked all ready. We'll wait a little, and see a little more of her when it's broad daylight. At broad daylight the schooner, with her appointments, was distinctly to be made out. She was pierced for sixteen guns, and was a formidable vessel to encounter with the boats. The calm still continuing, the launch, yawl, and pinnace were hoisted out, manned, and armed. The schooner got out her sweeps, and was evidently preparing for their reception. Still, the captain appeared unwilling to risk the lives of his men in such a dangerous conflict, and there we all lay alongside, each man sitting in his place with his oar raised on end. Catspaws of wind, as they call them, flew across the water here and there, ruffling its smooth surface, portending that a breeze would soon spring up and the hopes of this chance rendered the captain undecided. Thus did we remain alongside, for Tom and I were stationed in the first and second cutters, until twelve o'clock, when we were ordered to take a hasty dinner, 
and the allowance of spirits was served out at one it was still calm had we started when the boats were first hoisted out the affair would have been long before decided at last the captain perceiving that the chance of a breeze was still smaller then than in the afternoon ordered the boats to shove off we were still about the same distance from the privateer from three and a half to four miles in less than half an hour we were within gunshot the privateer swept her broadside to us and commenced firing guns with single round shot with great precision they ricocheted over the boats and at every shot we made sure of our being struck at this time a slight breeze swept along the water it reached the schooner filled her sails and she increased her distance again it died away and we neared her fast she swept round again and recommenced firing and one of her shot passed through the second cutter in which i was stationed ripping open three of her planks and wounding two men besides me the boat heavy with the gun ammunition chests etc immediately filled and turned over with us and it was with difficulty that we could escape from the weighty hamper that was poured out of her one of the poor fellows who had not been wounded remained entangled under the boat and never rose again the remainder of the crew rose to the surface and clung to the side of the boat the first cutter hauled to our assistance for we had separated to render the shot less effectual but it was three or four minutes before she was able to render us any assistance during which time the other two wounded men who had been apparently injured in the legs or body exhausted with loss of blood gradually unloosed their holds and disappeared under the calm blue water i had received a splinter in my left arm and held on longer than the others who had been maimed but i could not hold on till the cutter came i lost my recollection and sank tom who was in the bow of the cutter perceiving me go down dived after me brought me up again to the surface and we were both hauled in the other five men were also saved as soon as we were picked up the cutter followed the other boats which continued to advance towards the privateer i recovered my senses and found that a piece of one of the thwarts of the boat broken off by the shot had been forced through the fleshy part of my arm below the elbow where it still remained it was a very dangerous as well as a painful wound the officer of the boat without asking me laid hold of the splinter and tore it out but the pain was so great from its jagged form and the effusion of blood so excessive after this operation that i again fainted fortunately no artery was wounded or i must have lost my arm they bound it up and laid me at the bottom of the boat the firing from the schooner was now very warm and we were within a quarter of a mile of her when the breeze sprang up and she increased her distance a mile there was a prospect of wind from the appearance of the sky although for a time it again died away we were within less than half a mile of the privateer when we perceived that the frigate was bringing up a smart breeze and rapidly approached the scene of conflict the breeze swept along the water and caught the sails of the privateer 
and she was again, in spite of all the exertions of our wearied men, out of gunshot, and the first lieutenant very properly decided upon making for the frigate, which was now within a mile of us. In less than ten minutes the boats were hoisted in, and the wind now rising fast, we were under all sail, going at the rate of seven miles an hour. The privateer having also gained the breeze, and gallantly holding her own. I was taken down into the cockpit, the only wounded man brought on board. The surgeon examined my arm, and at first shook his head, and I expected immediate amputation. But on re-examination he gave his opinion that the limb might be saved. My wound was dressed, and I was put into my hammock in a screened bulk under the half-deck, where the cooling breeze from the ports fanned my feverish cheeks but I must return to the chase. In less than half an hour the wind had increased, so that we could with difficulty carry our royals. The privateer was holding her own about three miles right ahead, keeping our three masts in one. At sunset they were forced to take in the royals, and the sky gave every prospect of a rough gale. Still we carried on every stitch of canvas which the frigate could bear keeping the chase in sight with our night-glasses, and watching all her motions. The breeze increased. Before morning there was a heavy sea, and the frigate could only carry t'gallant sails over double-reefed topsails. At daylight we had neared the schooner by the sextants, about a quarter of a mile, and the captain and officers went down to take some repose and refreshment, not having quitted the deck for twenty-four hours. All that day we did chase the privateer without gaining more than half a mile upon her, and it now blew up a furious gale. The t'gallant sails had been before taken in, the topsails were close-reefed, and we were running at the speed of nearly twelve miles an hour. Still, so well did the privateer sail that she was barely within gunshot when the sun went down below the horizon, angry and fiery red. There was now great fear that she would escape, from the difficulty of keeping the glasses upon her during the night in a heavy sea, and the expectation that she would furl all and allow us to pass her. It appeared, however, that this manoeuvre did not enter into the head of the captain of the privateer. He stood on under a press of sail, which even in daytime would have been considered alarming, and at daylight owing to the steerage during the night never being so correct as during the day, she had recovered her distance, and was about four miles from us. The gale, if anything, had increased, and Captain Maclean determined notwithstanding to shake a reef out of the topsail. In the morning, as usual, Tom came to my cot, and asked me how I was. I told him I was better, and in less pain and that the surgeon had promised to dress my wound after breakfast, for the bandages had not been removed since I had first come on board. And the privateer, Tom, I hope we shall take her. It will be of some comfort to me that she is captured. I think we shall, if the masts stand, Jacob. But we have an enormous press of sail, as you may guess, by the way in which the frigate jumps. There is no standing on the forecastle and there is a regular waterfall down in the waist from forward. We are nearing her now. 
it is beautiful to see how she behaves when she heels over we can perceive that all her men are lashed on deck and she takes whole seas into her fore and aft mainsail and pours them out again as she rises from the lurch she deserves to escape at all events she did not however obtain her deserts for about twelve o'clock in the day we were within a mile of her at two the marines were firing small arms at her for we could not yaw to fire at her a gun although she was right under our bows when within a cable's length we shortened sail so as to keep the distance astern and the chase after having lost several men by musketry the captain of her waved his hat in token of surrender we immediately shortened sail to keep the weather gauge pelting her until every sail was lowered down we then rounded to keeping her under our lee and firing at every man who made his appearance on deck taking possession of her was a difficult task a boat could hardly live in such a sea and when the captain called aloud for volunteers and i heard tom's voice in the cutter as it was lowered down my heart misgave me lest he should meet with some accident at last i knew from the conversation on deck that the cutter had got safe on board and my mind was relieved the surgeon came up and dressed my arm and i then received comparative bodily as well as mental relief it was not until the next day when we lay to with the schooner close to us that the weather became sufficiently moderate to enable us to receive the prisoners and put our own men and officers on board the prize proved to be an american-built schooner fitted out as a french privateer she was called serf agile mounting fourteen guns of nearly three hundred tons measurement and with a crew of one hundred and seventy men of which forty-eight were away in prizes it was perhaps fortunate that the boats were not able to attack her as they would have received a very warm reception thus did we succeed in capturing this mischievous vessel after a chase of two hundred and seventy miles as soon as all arrangements were made we shaped our course with the privateer in company for halifax where we arrived in about five weeks my wound was now nearly healed but my arm had wasted away and i was unable to return to my duty it was well known that i wrote a good hand and i volunteered as i could do nothing else to assist the purser and the clerk with the ship's books etc the admiral was at bermuda and the frigate which we were to relieve had from the exigencies of the service been dispatched down to the honduras and was not expected back for some months we sailed from halifax to bermuda and joined the admiral and after three weeks we were ordered on a cruise my arm was now perfectly recovered but i had become so useful in the clerk's office that i was retained much against my own wishes but the captain liked it as tom said and after that there was no more said about the matter america was not the seat of war at that period and with the exception of chasing french runners there was nothing to be done on the north american station i have therefore little to narrate during the remainder of the time that i was on board the frigate 
Tom did his duty in the foretop, and never was in any disgrace. On the contrary, he was a great favourite both with officers and men, and took more liberties with the captain than any one else dared to have done. But Captain Maclean knew that Tom was one of his foremost and best men, always active, zealous, and indifferent to danger, and Tom knew exactly how far he could venture to play with him. I remained in the clerk's office, and it was soon discovered that I had received an excellent education, and always behaved myself respectfully to my superiors. I was kindly treated, and had no reason to complain of a man of war. Such was the state of affairs when the other frigate arrived from Honduras, and we, who had been cruising for the last four months in Boston Bay, were ordered in by a cutter to join the Admiral at Halifax. We had now been nearly a year from England, without receiving any letters. The reader may, therefore, judge of my impatience when, after the anchor had been let go, and the sails furled, the Admiral's boat came on board with several bags of letters for the officers and ship's company. They were handed down into the gun-room, and I waited with impatience for the sorting and distribution. Faithful, said the purser, here are two letters for you. I thanked him, and hastened into the clerk's office that I might read them without interruption. The first was addressed in a formal hand quite unknown to me. I opened it with some degree of wonderment as to who could possibly write to so humble an individual. It was from a lawyer, and its contents were as follows. Sir, we hasten to advise you of the death of your good friend, Mr. Alexander Turnbull. By his will, which has been opened and read, and of which you are the executor, he has made you his sole heir, bequeathing you, at the present, the sum of thirty thousand pounds, with the remainder of his fortune at the demise of his wife. With the exception of five thousand pounds, left to Mrs. Turnbull for her own disposal, the legacies do not amount to more than eight hundred pounds. The jointure arising from the interest of the money secured to Mrs. Turnbull during her life is one thousand and eighty pounds per annum, upon the three per cent consuls, so that at her demise you will come into thirty-six thousand pounds consuls, which at seventy-six will be equal to twenty-seven thousand three hundred and sixty pounds sterling. I beg to congratulate you upon your good fortune, and, with Mr. Drummond, have made application to the Admiralty for your discharge. This application, I am happy to say, has been immediately attended to, and by the same mail that conveys this letter is forwarded an order for your discharge and a passage home. Should you think proper to treat our firm as your legal advisers, we shall be most happy to enrol you among our clients. I am, sir, yours very respectfully, John Fletcher. I must leave the reader to judge of this unexpected and welcome communication. At first I was so stunned that I appeared as a statue with the letter in my hand, and in this condition I remained until roused by the first lieutenant who had come to the office to desire me to pass the word for letters for England, 
and to desire the sailmaker to make a bag. Faithful, why, what's the matter? Are you ill, or? I could not reply, but I put the letter into his hand. He read the contents, expressing his astonishment by occasional exclamations. I wish you joy, my lad, and may it be my turn next time. No wonder you looked like a stuck pig. Had I received such news, the captain might have allude till he was hoarse, and the ship might have tumbled overboard before I should have roused myself. Well, I suppose we shall get no more work out of you. The captain wants you, Mr. Knight, said one of the midshipmen, touching his hat. Mr. Knight went into the cabin, and in a few minutes returned, holding the order for my discharge in his hand. It's all right, Faithful, here is your discharge, and an order for your passage home. He laid it on the table and then went away, for a first lieutenant in harbour has no time to lose. The next person who came was Tom, holding in his hand a letter from Mary, with a postscript from his mother. Well, Jacob, said he, I have news to tell you. Mary says that Mr. Turnbull is dead, and has left her father two hundred pounds, and that she has been told that he has left you something handsome. He has indeed, Tom, replied I. Read this letter. While Tom was reading, I perceived the letter from Mr. Drummond, which I had forgotten. I opened it. It communicated the same intelligence as that of the lawyer, in fewer words recommended my immediate return, and enclosed a bill upon his house for a hundred pounds to enable me to appear in a manner corresponding to my present condition. Well, said Tom, this is indeed good news, Jacob. You are a gentleman at last, as you deserve to be. It has made me so happy. What do you mean to do? I have my discharge here, replied I, and am ordered a passage home. Better still. I am so happy, Jacob, so happy. But what is to become of me? And Tom passed the back of his hand across his eyes to brush away a tear. You shall soon follow me, Tom, if I can manage it either by money or any influence. I will manage it if you don't, Jacob. I won't stay here without you. That I am determined. Do nothing rashly, Tom. I am sure I can buy your discharge, and on my arrival in England I will not think of anything else until it is done. You must be quick then, Jacob, for I am sure I can't stay here long. Trust to me, Tom. You'll still find me, Jacob, faithful, said I, extending my hand. Tom squeezed it earnestly and with moistened eyes turned away and walked forward. The news had spread through the ship, and many of the officers as well as the men came to congratulate me. What would I have given to have been allowed only one half-hour to myself, one half-hour in which I might be permitted to compose my excited feelings, to have returned thanks for such unexpected happiness? and paid a tribute to the memory of so sincere a friend. But in a ship this is almost impossible, unless, as an officer, you can retreat to your own cabin.
and those gushings from the heart arising from grief or pleasure the tears so sweet in solitude must be prostituted before the crowd or altogether repressed at last the wished-for opportunity did come mr wilson who had been away on service came to congratulate me as soon as he heard the news and with an instinctive perception of what might be my feelings asked me whether i would not like to write my letters in his cabin which for a few hours was at my service i thankfully accepted the offer and when summoned by the captain had relieved my overcharged heart and had composed my excited feelings jacob faithful you are aware that there is an order for your discharge said he kindly you will be discharged this afternoon into the astrea she is ordered home and will sail with dispatches in a few days you have conducted yourself well since you have been under my command and although you are now in a situation not to require a good certificate still you will have the satisfaction of feeling that you have done your duty in the station of life to which you have for a certain portion of it been called i wish you well although captain maclean in what he said never lost sight of the relative situations in which we had been placed there was a kindness of manner especially in the last words i wish you well which went to my heart i replied that i had been very happy during the time i had been under his command and thanked him for his good wishes i then bowed and left the cabin but the captain did not send me on board the astrea although i was discharged into her he told the first lieutenant that i had better go on shore and equip myself in a proper manner and as i afterwards found out spoke of me in very favourable terms to the captain of the astrea acknowledging that i had received the education of a gentleman and had been illegally impressed so that when i made my appearance on board the astrea the officers of the gun-room requested that i would mess with them during the passage home i went on shore obtained the money for my bill hastened to a tailor and with his exertions and other fitting out people procured all that was requisite for the outward appearance of a gentleman i then returned to the immortalite and bade farewell to the officers and seamen with whom i had been most intimate my parting with tom was painful even the few days which i had been away i perceived had made an alteration in his appearance jacob said he don't think i envy you on the contrary i am as grateful even more grateful than if such good fortune had fallen to my own lot but i cannot help fretting at the thought of being left here without you and i shall fret until i am with you again i renewed my promises to procure his discharge and forcing upon him all the money i thought that i could spare i went over the side as much affected as poor tom our passage home was rapid we had a continuance of northwest winds and we flew before them and in less than three weeks we dropped our anchor at spithead happy in the change of my situation and happier still in anticipation i shall only say that i never was in better spirits 
or in company with more agreeable young men than were the officers of the Astrea, and although we were so short a time together, we separated with mutual regret. End of chapter 39